Hi, welcome to the Transforming Spaces podcast by Gendered Intelligence. My name's Annie and my pronouns are she or they. And I'm Frankie and my pronouns are he, him. Gendered Intelligence is a charity that works to increase understandings of gender diversity and help improve the lives of all trans people. Our vision is of a world where people are no longer constrained by narrow perceptions and expectations of gender and where diverse gender expressions are visible and valued. If you're interested in supporting gendered intelligence or to find out more about our youth work, volunteer scheme, educational and professional services, please visit genderedintelligence.co.uk or follow us on our Twitter at genderintel. This week's theme is trans people in sport and our speakers are Simon Croft, Jamie Hooper and Emma Frankland. In which they crop up, always pretty much in the same order, it is fairness of trans women competing with other women, safety of other women competing with trans women, safety of trans men competing with other men. Generally, nobody worries at all about the issues of fairness as they might relate to trans men and often don't consider non-binary inclusion either. So just as a little bit of context, I think it's useful to know what the Equality Act says about these things. Um, firstly, sports can run gender teams if the sport is something called a gender-affected activity. That is described as a sport game or other activity of a competitive nature in circumstances in which the physical strength, stamina or physique of average persons of one sex would put them at a disadvantage compared to average persons of the other sex in competitors in events involving the activity. So that enables separate women's competitions and that's a really valuable and vital thing in many sports. As regards trans inclusion, the Equality Act basically says trans people must be included in teams that align with our gender identity unless exclusion is necessary to ensure fairness of competition or safety. But how do we assess those things? So let's have a look at fairness. Keeping competition fair is important in all sports, but what does that actually mean and why do we consider some attributes or advantages fair and others unfair? So there are many factors and attributes that affect someone's sporting abilities. They include someone's physicality, for example, their height, uh, their flexibility, their balance, their hand-eye coordination. It might be their age, their mental health and attitude and resilience. It might be things like the quality of coaching they receive, how long they spend training, the healthcare that's there to support them, such as physio. It can mean things like previous injuries, their sleep and nutrition um, access that they have, and also sometimes the investment in and rewards for that particular sport. So it's a really long list of things that affect that. Some of those are influenced by culture, some by funding and money, some by genetics, some by gender, and there can be a complex relationship between all of those influences. But we generally consider variations across those factors to be fair, just part of the ordinary diversity of life. So why is it so hard to recognise trans people uh, and trans experiences as being a fair part of that complex mix? Well, in some instances, we segregate by, for example, age or gender to accommodate groups of people of differing average capacity. So a group average is taken, if you like. But sometimes when people think of trans people um, taking part in sport, they start to apply that average to us, a group average to us, as individuals. Uh, and so the idea of fairness gets linked with being average as an individual, especially in physical terms. But why do we think in that way? Because it's not necessary to be physically average to take part in sport. So it's important to distinguish between the average capacity of people of a particular group and the overall range of capacity of individuals in that group. 
So we don't say, for example, that only women of average capacity can play women's basketball. We say all women can play women's basketball. And in fact, we are quite keen to find the ones that are not average, but exceptional. And so I had a little bit of a look round uh, yesterday, and there's Candace Parker from the Women's National Basketball Association in America. She's not average, she's six foot four, and she has a shoe size of 13. But she is part of that spectrum that is being celebrated in women's basketball. So why shouldn't we recognise trans people's attributes as falling within that wide spectrum of possibilities for their gender, and therefore forming an ordinary fair part of that diverse picture? Well, sometimes people point to elite sport as a reason. Um, it's not something I'm going to get into today, but I think it's particularly important to recognise that whilst we need to work with elite sports and to help them think through their challenges, the vast majority of sport takes place in amateur, recreational and educational settings, and is played by fairly ordinary people. We should be acting to maximise inclusion and minimise barriers in those settings, and making sure that we think in a proportionate way about fairness can be really, really helpful and an inclusive thing to do there. And then when we think about safety, well, at gendered intelligence, we're often told, because we work a lot in schools, it's unsafe for trans boys to play rugby. Hmm. But is this gender stereotyping? Categorising people assigned female at birth as fragile and lacking resilience? Hmm. And yes, there is a rugby team, and yes, there is a trans man in that rugby team. Does safety, in fact, need to be gender related at all? So for example, how do you assess safety if someone is returning from injury? If they have an, an impairment, maybe they have some cerebral palsy or something. How about if somebody is just small, thin, or not very strong or quick? I think we can just use the same assessment models, surely, uh, if we're looking at safety in sport. I think the reality is that sports are much more likely to be unsafe if you have people mismatched in skill level. Going back to rugby, if we compare a Sunday afternoon rugby player with somebody from the Saracens, that is perhaps more likely where we're going to see a difficulty. It's also worth noting that a number of sports don't have men's and women's categories, they have women's and open categories. So in fact, the opportunity is there for those mixed teams. Cricket is an example. And also, one of the things I noticed when I was listening to commentary at the Winter Olympics uh, earlier in the year, um, a commentator on the women's ice hockey uh, matches noted that many of the women players there played on men's teams back home. And the men's game is a contact sport. So again, safety whilst important, is perhaps far less gender related than we might at first think. And then away from the pitch or track or pool, the questions tend to centre around things like changing facilities, showers and the sporters' environments. And the Equality Act supports inclusion there too. And there are some great examples of teams and organisations uh, being fully inclusive there. And I know Emma is going to bring forward a particularly great example there. So that's a few things to consider as a scene setter. I don't want to take up any more time than that, but let's now hear from the first of our speakers. Hi, um, so yeah, Simon mentioned my name's Jamie, but um, I work for Sport England. Just by way of hands, has, has anybody heard of Sport England? Do you know who we are? Okay, good. I wasn't sure how that was going to go in the room. Um, essentially, we invest um, government money and lottery money into funding grassroots sport across England and kind of governing how that's invested. Um, so I lead on our LGBT and BME work, um, as well as the Equality Sounds for Sport and a couple of other areas. Um, I've been at Sporting for just under six months. Previous to that, I led equality work at Swimming for three and a half years, um, and I'm super proud to be leading this work at Sport England. Um, tackling inequality is a, is a massive part of our strategy that takes us up to 2021. Um, and although there's no specific reference to LGBT participation within it, that shouldn't be misinterpreted as a lack of interest. Um, 
Making sport and physical activity more accessible to underrepresented groups is massively important for us. Um, and where that's affected by gender identity, we're certainly interested. Um, we've commissioned a number of insight pieces around um, general LGBT inclusion, some trans inclusion, um, and intend to release some new insight um, in the Rainbow Laces campaign that's coming up soon. Um, it's difficult to ascertain generic statistics on transgender participation sport because of the challenge of numbers. But we know from our insight and other academic um, insight that's out there, there's a, there's a definite need to work more specifically with transgender people to be more physically active, especially throughout the transition process because we see a big drop off in that period of time. So we've directly funded a number of physical activity projects um, specific for trans people, um, including Tag Swimming Project, um, which is pretty big in London, um, and Birmingham LGBT's Activate Project, um, which had a number of trans-specific elements within it. Um, both of which are pushing boundaries at the coalface of physical activity every single day. Um, and it's amazing to, to see that happening. So linked to that, we will shortly be commissioning some further work into this area, um, specifically around um, transitioning and how sport and physical activity can play a role within that. Um, so look out for some more details on that coming quite soon. We are really pleased to see sport mentioned in the government's LGBT action plan that was released a couple of months ago. Um, which um, yeah included a section on sport and we're working really closely with the Government Equalities Office on that area, um, as well as having just submitted um, a sector-wide response to the GRA consultation, um, which we consulted with a number of partners before that, including Gendered Intelligence as one of those. We've just heard that they're going to be getting somebody in, in the Equalities Office who's going to be leading on sport as well as a couple of other areas, so that's really exciting and a great opportunity for us to try and work with them a bit closer and and shape what the next steps are gonna look like in that area. And we're also working with a range of partners at the moment to produce, um, as Simon mentioned, a, a trans-specific inclusive facility guidance document. It does what it says on the tin, it's not as sexy and wordy as it, as it could be. Um, but what we're trying to do is put um, some, some grassroots guidance together that will cover um, all kinds of best practice um, and give some examples, practical examples, to anybody who's delivering any kind of sport and physical activity to be more inclusive for trans people. I, yeah, I was a super squeeze on, so I'm not going to take up any more time, but I'd be really keen to chat to anyone if they want to, and I'm going to let these guys talk more about what they're doing, because this is where it comes to life. Mm, okay. yeah. Thank you very much, Jamie. No worries. That's great. Hello. Um, I feel like a bit of a fraud being in this, in this panel um, for several reasons. I mean, I'm a... I'm quite used to speaking on panels about my day job, which is as an artist and theatre maker, or uh, sometimes as a queer parent, and I highlights the fact that there is another panellist here today, yes, um, who's tagging along. But I'm kind of new to um, claiming space as an athlete, um, and, but I'm quite excited. So when Jay was like, oh, do you want to come and talk? Um, yeah, I'm wearing my team top, just so you know I'm an athlete. <laughs> um, when, when I was invited to come and talk at the conference, I was like, yeah, sure, what's it going to be about? And Jay was like, roller derby. I was like, oh, okay. Um, uh, also, just really want to highlight, I am not league director of the Women's Flat Track Roller Derby Association, which is like the global governing body for the sport. Um, I skate with and I'm a league director for the Brighton Rockers, who are a team who are affiliated with the WFTBA, um, but I'm absolutely not here in any uh, capacity beyond that, just for uh, clarity. Um, very quickly, for anyone who's not clear what roller derby is, um, it's, oh, by the way, I also just put loads of pictures of me looking cool. <laughs> I could have like put some pictures that were more helpful, but 
Um, Roller Derby photographs really well. Um, and some of these photos are of, I, I don't know. I mean, as it, they're, they're photos of me looking really cool, but also empowered with my team with, um, and hopefully what I wanted to come across from, from these photos was the support and how kind of much I do feel a very welcomed and central part of my team. Um, Royal Derby is a um, sport that came out of America, so it's kind of um, it has some of those idiosyncrasies of um, American sports. It's um, a set of, it's sometimes described as rugby on roller skates, which is slightly misleading because there's no balls involved. Um, but essentially, it's kind of like a race. Uh, so there are two teams, and five players from each team are on the, the track. The track is shaped like an oval, and you race around and try and score points. There's one player from each team will have a star on their helmet, and they are the point scorer. And if you are the person with the star, the jammer, then uh, you need to pass members of the opposing team. And for every member you pass, you get a point. That's kind of it, really. And then everything else is about um, trying to push your way through or be pushed out of the way. It's a full contact uh, sport. Um, it's played... Um, yeah, it's a full contact sport. It often kind of has a reputation of um, being uh, violent and having a lot of injuries associated with it. And I feel like whilst those things are not untrue, it's not like to play it. it it's not a sport that feels violent. And in the two years that I've been playing, I've seen hardly any injuries. Like, I think it's more that these things can happen as indeed they can happen in a lot of sports that, that are contact and contact and on wheels. What a ridiculous... Um, Thought. It's um, also um, notable, I think, because it's one of the few sports in the world where the women's sport is the dominant sport. So it's primarily a sport played by women, and although there are men's leagues, now mixed leagues, um, the women's sport is the primary sport. So when we have, you know, when we were to refer to the World Cup, we will be referring to the Women's World Cup as opposed to um, uh, other. Yeah, other sports. Um, and there are leagues around the world. It's one of the fastest growing sports in the world um, and is catching on. I mean, has caught on in a big way in, in the UK. Um, the World Cup this year uh, took place in Manchester, which was awesome. So we were able to go up and see it with my, my league. And that was a real good indication of kind of just how far Derby has spread. Um, and also, I mean, I think it is a... It has come from a kind of cat point of counterculture, like it, it came from um, uh, when it, in its recent kind of reincarnation, it, it's come from punk roots, counterculture roots, and it continues, even though now um, a lot of uh, the high level teams and a lot of people who, who play, it has become more of an athletic um, uh, sport that people play kind of more seriously, perhaps, um, but it still, I think, has a lot of radical um, things at its heart, even within the, the official bodies. And part of that is very strong kind of LGBT uh, inclusion, very strong trans inclusion policies. And, um, and other things, like at the World Cup uh, this year, there were, I think, like 26 teams or something. And yeah, yeah, more pictures of me looking awesome, please. Put it round again. Um, and there was, there was a team uh, indigenous that was um, formed of uh, skaters from around the world who um, identified as indigenous uh, and they came together to play together during um, the World Cup. And I think like that was a remarkable first, you can imagine that taking like 
what the ramifications of that happening at a global at a global sporting event um, and I think opens the door for that sort of thing to happen at other global sporting events and other World Cups and other Olympics and I think that Derby is doing that in a lot on a lot of fronts um, it's also a lot of kind of juniors coming up now and playing um, interestingly juniors is played mixed as well which I think is just awesome like there's a down near, near us Eastbourne have a junior league who um, recently sent a lot of players to the Junior World Cup? Yes, thank you. Um, in in the states, and I think like it's great that they play mixed because you do you have these like young um, boys playing a female sport and being you know inspired by their female colleagues rather than the other way around. But who are we? We're the Brighton Rockers, so we're the we're Brighton's uh, local team, um, local league. We have three teams now. We have our uh, an A team, a B team, and now a C team, which is, I guess, affected by skills. I mean, I first saw the Rockers two years ago. They played a game at the Brighton Dome, and I was like, what is this? Um, I went because a friend of mine took me along. I was like, I need, I think I need to do that. And I sort of signed up. Um, most leagues run what is called fresh meat, which is uh, your introductory kind of uh, way into a league, and you, you learn how to play, and you learn how to fall over, and you learn how to be safe on track and things. Um, and I signed up for Fresh Meat and I was like, awesome, this is great. And it took me quite a long time um, having signed up before I realized, like a couple of weeks before I started, that I had signed up for a women's team. And I'm a trans woman and I think it was the first time I had put myself into a female setting, female-only setting, without thinking about it. And then I had a moment of like, oh, oh, is this going to be okay? I've just like assumed it's going to be okay. Um, I have a friend who had um, who had been skating with the league, um, who's transmasculine, who stopped skating with the league because of um, because of his trans- transition. And we met up, and I was like, "What is it going to be okay? And it's going to be okay, right?" And he was like, "Yeah, we'll see," <laughs> which was uh, encouraging. But it, but it has been um, it has been an amazing journey over the last two years. I have had zero um, instances of, um, of bother or trouble and I've had nothing but, um, but welcome even when I go along with my little boy who calls me daddy still and stands at the side going daddy 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 it's, it's, been, um, it's been great I want to talk how long have I got? three minutes oh hell okay so trans inclusion in daddy it's all like I say it's always been there queer counterculture I like the idea that there'd be a sexy guide to trans inclusion um, I think trans people are sexy so you know we should definitely we'll try incorporate that um, but the WFTDA the Women's Flat Track Derby Association's statement's not particularly je- sexy but it does exist and it has existed for a number of years um, and they did release a statement a few years ago reaffirming their commitment to trans women as women within um, the sport, um, which is huge for a governing body to just come out and make that um, statement. There's a lot of, I mean, there are trans women playing um, in many, many leagues around, around the world. I think there probably is quite a high amount of trans inclusion within the sport, particularly at high levels in national teams. The WFTDA's statement also says that um, people who are gender expansive, which I'd never heard the phrase gender expansive, but I like, um, and they, they state that a gender expansive um, person can skate with a WFTDA charged team, so it's a women's team, um, if women's flat track roller derby is the version and composition of roller derby with which they most closely identify. 
And this was something that a year ago when we were rewriting our policy, um, we kind of took, and I think we took it a little bit further than the WFTDA, which does kind of cite, you know, well, you can be this, or you can be this, or you can be this. And I think I'm really proud of, of how our statement is, because we've had a lot of, we, we've had discussions around who we are, and we are a women's league. And actually, that feels important to acknowledge that actually it's, it's important that we have that space, that we don't invite anybody to come and play with us. The, the, the way that the cis men's game, or the, well, the way that the men's game, sorry, is played, is, is, is different. The, the, the nature of the sport is different. Tactically, it, it feels different. And also, we want to play um, competitively, which again is sometimes where these things come down to. And as a WFTDA chartered team, we want to play for that as a part of that is continuing to be a women's team as opposed to an all genders team. However, what our gender policy states is that anybody may play, may skate with us if women's flat track roller derby is the kind of roller derby that you feel you need to be playing. So we don't put any um, imposition onto that. Um, and I, what I like about that, and I think is applicable maybe in, in other areas, is that it's, um, it's about opt-in rather than opt-out. We're not like, because, God, I don't know, our terminology moves, moves, right? And we can't make a list. If we make a list, we're going to miss somebody off that list. It's inevitable. And so I really like that we say, yeah, if, if you feel we are the right team for you, then you're welcome. Um, but this is what we are. And I think it's really important for us to determine what we are. Um, you know, I find it very validating, very important as a woman to skate with a, with a women's team. Um, but I'm excited that we have non-binary skaters. There are other trans women who skate in our league as well. Um, so that's where we are. Opt in, opt out. The final thing I want to say, because I do want to, um, I do want to show you this thing is that, um, so this, Changing rooms, right, is the thing that comes up, isn't it? And um, I haven't had any problems with, with changing rooms. We skate in three different um, sports centres uh, in Brighton and Hove. Um, and a few months ago, our local paper, The Argus, published a really crappy article that had been written by a lecturer at Sussex University, a queer woman, queer cis woman, who had written this um, hateful article about trans women. And one of the many things that she said in her article was citing kind of um, these kind of commonly, um, common misinformation around trans people in changing rooms and citing particularly the dangers of trans women as she saw it in changing rooms. And we felt as a league, who as a women's league, who are forced to use gendered changing rooms because that's how the sports centres that we use are facilitated at the moment. So whilst we have to use gendered changing rooms, um, that you know actually we're a group of women who have the experience of doing this three times a week as opposed to somebody who was presupposing. Um, and my league, led not by the trans, not by the like the couple of us who are trans in the league, but led by the cis skaters, wanted to make a response and wanted to make a. Um, a robust response and so they made this video which I absolutely love um, and we're encouraging other sports teams to um, share or to also make similar um, statements and that made the hashtag change together which I think is quite good. So yeah I felt um, as a amateur sports league and you know as a trans skater within that league that felt like a really um, it was just a really great moment and I was so proud that it was led by the by the allies within the team and I was just like so stoked because it's, it's not like 
they're not actors or filmmakers, you know? It was a really genuine response. That was brilliant. I think that was absolutely a lovely, lovely piece. So thank you ever so no much worries. for sharing your experiences there, Emma. Thank you. You've been listening to the Transforming Spaces podcast. Thanks for listening. And if you want to continue this conversation or you have any points to add, we'd be really interested to hear your views. Um, so do please tweet us at... At Gender Intel. <laughs>